0: Welcome to the Tabernacle. Uh, My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to welcome those who are joining us in Manistee. You picked a great weekend because we're kicking off uh, the Son of God series where we're going through uh, the Gospel of Luke. And before we jump in too far, I want to take a moment and say again how grateful I am for our creative arts team. Uh, It's led by Victoria and Matt Hughes. Uh, They came up with all these sets. It's the same set in Manistee that you see here they're giving us uh, uh, the little Grinchy movies to help perk us up a little bit, even though you... I mean, here in Buckley, they're just like, maybe it's because you don't know David, right? But David, the guy in the Grinchy suit, is also the guy that makes all these movies for us, these little intros. We don't buy them off the interwebs, right? Those are original. So I appreciate them. I want you to appreciate them with us. Thank you, David. Lindsay as well, uh, and, and their whole crew It is a spiritual gift to help us uh, to engage our minds in a different way. Because I know it can get old, just that guy with the book just talking, right? But when we can engage visually uh, and with music, sound the whole thing, it's just awesome. So we're blessed. Um, As as we kick off uh, the Gospel of Luke, there's a couple things I want to uh, point out. This. Message today is kind of an intro message. It's going to be a little bit different. I hope you'll stay with us all through uh, the series. But I want to point out a couple things that will be helpful for you. First of all, um, the book of Luke is the longest book in the New Testament. It's 24 long chapters long, right? And our goal is we're starting right here at Christmas time because it starts with the life of Jesus, or it's the life of Jesus, and it starts with the birth of Christ. And we're going to take it all the way through Easter, in fact, we will go to the weekend after Easter. So if you've you know, got a calendar, you do the math, there's 24 chapters, we've only got 20 weeks to Easter. So how we're going to get there is we're not going to cover every little bit of the book of Luke, but I'd love for you to cover every little bit of the book of Luke, and we've got some things in mind that uh, are, are some resources that'll help you do that, and one of them I want to draw your attention to is our team has made uh, this reading plan to go through the book of Luke so you can keep up with us. These are available at the hub here in Buckley, also in Manistee. Um, And you can, you know, it just says the date and you should be, you know, some weeks it's two chapters, some uh, uh, weeks it's only one chapter. You can check it off and you can keep up and it'll keep you engaged too, because you'll have already read the part that we're going to cover in the message. So we're not going to cover every little bit. Does that make sense? But we want to do this as a church family. Now, I failed to mention this in the other services this week, and since you showed up for the last one, you get the little bonus. Uh, The part that we don't cover, we're gonna cover on the podcast. So you see that? You thought Sunday night church went away forever. No, now it's on a podcast, right? So you get a little something on Sunday morning, you keep up with the podcast, the reading plan. It's gonna be so good. Yeah, you're just gonna wanna stick around. Make sense? So if you have a Bible, if you would turn to the Gospel of Luke, um, we 're going to unpack just a little bit of the introduction. We spent almost an entire year in first and second Samuel, actually a little bit over a year in first and second Samuel. And if you 'll remember, it was in Second Samuel chapter seven, where God made a promise to King David, and he said in his covenant, "Promise with David that one of your descendants will sit on the throne forever." He will be like a son to me. And so really what we've done from going from the end of 2 Samuel and into First and Second Kings where David finally dies is we've hit the fast forward button a 1,000 years to the one that was promised, the son of David, the son of man, the son of God, Jesus Christ. He's the reason we're here. I'm getting excited. All right? That's the name of the series, and we picked that on purpose. The son of God, because that's what Luke is about. That determines everything about you. If Jesus was really the son of God and you believe it, everything about you changes. Or you can be a churchgoer, you can be a a good person and believe that all Jesus was a good person, but son of God, that might be taking it too far and nothing about you will change but I'm getting ahead of myself. So if you have a Bible and you're open, we're gonna just look at the introduction uh, to Luke. It's really what's called the dedication. And I wanna warn you where we're going just so you don't think that I've completely lost it, right? We're gonna look at the first four verses of Luke. Then we're gonna jump into the first three verses of Acts. Then we're gonna come back to the middle of Luke and hopefully by the end, it'll make sense. You got it? All right, so here we go. Verse one, here's the dedication That you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That's how it begins. And he's laying out his purpose. So who is Luke? Luke was not one of the original disciples. We don't know a ton about Luke, although he's mentioned uh, at least three times by the Apostle Paul in his letters in the New Testament. He refers to him as Luke, the beloved physician or my beloved physician. So we know he was a friend of Paul's. He's a believer in Jesus Christ. He's an early follower or a disciple. And we know he's a physician. He's a doctor. In fact, as our content team got together and, and, and was kind of... Um, Kind of out, outlining where we were gonna go, we started referring to him as Dr. Luke, right? Because he's a physician. Now, in in you know two thousand years ago, to be called a physician essentially meant that you were a learned man. You had an education. It, it wasn't like 2021 where you know we have a, you know a doctor of hearts, we have a doctor of brains, you have a doctor of teeth, you have a doctor of crack your bones. You know we have all kinds. Of, come on, you know. <laughs> We have a doctor of hands. But back then, if you were a doctor, you you were a scientist, you were a logical person, and it covered a lot of fields. It might even include a doctor of law, right? So he was a physician, but he could also, you know, read the stars. He was a physician, but he could also defend you in court. So he's an educated man. He's a logical man. And you'll see this. You you know, he said, Theophilus, I'm going to write you an orderly account, Luke is by far the most meticulously detailed of the four Gospels. Now, some of you might not know what I'm referring to when I say the Gospels. When we say the Gospels, there's the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all biographies of Jesus from four different perspectives. Matthew was a disciple, and he was a Jewish man. And so if you read Matthew, you get a lot of the Old Testament and Jewish background. And he he places a huge emphasis that Jesus was a descendant of Abraham, right? Because Matthew was a Jew. Mark was in a hurry. If you read Mark, it's very short. It's very quick. Uh, Peter, we think, was dictating to Mark what to write down. And Peter wasn't much of an educated man. Scripture says he was... He was ordinary and ignorant. You know, some translations say he was illiterate, but it doesn't matter. Mark wrote it down and it was always like immediately Jesus went there and then immediately Jesus did this and immediately he did that and then it was over, right? So that's Mark. He's always in a rush. And then John, John had this complex like he was Jesus' favorite. So it's the most loving of the gospels and he refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved the most, you know, that type of deal. (laughs) course, if I wrote a gospel, I'd kind of make myself look good too, I think, right? And then you have Luke. Luke is not a Jew. He's a Gentile. He's a Gentile. In fact, that's unique and that's important for us. Luke is the only Gentile to pen any of the New Testament. So it comes from a perspective that maybe we're more familiar with. We like logic, right? Especially the rational mind of 2021. Nobody's rational in 2021, (laughs) right? He mentions eyewitnesses. We believe that Luke actually spoke to first century eyewitnesses to Jesus' life, most notably Mary, the mother of Jesus, because there's details in Luke that you could only get from Jesus' mama. And so we have this picture of this logical scientist, maybe even a bit of a lawyer guy that is interviewing witnesses and he's putting it all in an orderly manner and he's writing it for this guy, Theophilus. Now, Theophilus, that's a big name. That's also a Gentile name, but he uses this prefix. He goes most excellent Theophilus. So what's that about? When you see most excellent in the New Testament, usually that's referring to some sort of Roman official. So now it's, we're unpacking even more. It's like we're playing a little detective game. So Luke is writing this orderly account for a guy named Theophilus. And he says in verse four, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Another way to say that is like this. Luke wrote this gospel so that you will know this is true. And if there's any period in history where we need to know that something is true, it's 2021. You can spend your whole life in church and not really believe it's true. Believe what is true? That Jesus is the Son of God. That he is the Son of God. And so we assume that Theophilus is also a believer. We don't know a ton about him, but it sounds like he was a Roman official. There's actually some have speculated that maybe uh, this was written as a defense of the Apostle Paul. That maybe the Apostle Paul, when he was imprisoned in Rome, being seen as a threat uh, uh, by Caesar, that maybe Luke wrote this orderly account to show that he was no threat. And we get that because, uh, uh, well, if you flip over to the book of Acts, just geek out with me here just for a second. It'll all make sense, I hope. And if not, you can catch me later. The book of Acts begins this way, just three verses. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, you got your detective hats on there? Oh, so Luke is part one of two. It's part one of two. So it says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all Jesus began to do and teach. And I love the fact that it says all that Jesus began to do and teach. It's kind of like he's leaving it open that Jesus is still doing and still teaching. Do you believe that? It's because he's alive. All that he began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse three, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Luke is part one, Acts is part two, and it's about Jesus, the son of God, and all that he began to do and teach so that you will know that this is true. Because if it is true, it'll change your life. It'll change your life. So if you don't believe in Jesus, you picked a great series to join us. If you're not sure, this is really mom and dad and they keep dragging me here, you picked a great series because we're gonna look at the life of Jesus. And I don't know why they ordered the books of the Bible that way. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? Acts. Romans, maybe they should have went Matthew, Mark, John, Luke, Acts, so we could get part one and two right next to each other. But there, you've learned a little something already, and we haven't even jumped in. He said something there at the beginning of Acts, that he's alive, there's eyewitnesses, and there were many proofs. This is important, because if Jesus died and was buried, and came back to life, and then didn't die again, but instead ascended into heaven, now you have to deal with him. Now you have to deal with him. And for me personally, I have the opportunity to speak to a lot of skeptics. I don't know why. Maybe it's just what God's brought into my life. People ask me questions, and there's something that I've noticed is in 2021, a lot of people are done with church or they're done with Christians or they're done with preachers or they don't believe everything in the Bible. They think it's full of contradictions and errors and it's usually because they haven't taken the time to actually read it. They just found something on the interwebs. But you can have a problem with all those things. But when you're confronted with the person of Jesus Christ, when you really see him, Well, that changes things, doesn't it? That changes things, doesn't it? Because he is the son of God. He is the son of God. You can have a problem with me, but Jesus, he'll change the world. You can have a problem with the church, but Jesus, son of God, that's a different story. And so hopefully in this series, we'll take a look at this Jesus, this son of God. Why did he come? What was his mission? And so that's what I meant when I said, we're going to skip to the middle of Luke so we can understand his theme. We can understand what it's all about. And this is going to kind of guide us through the rest of it. So last place we'll turn, if you still have your Bible, look over to uh, Luke chapter 19, and I'm going to read for us a familiar story. So I'm skipping to the middle. Movie guys do that sometimes, don't they? You know, especially the newer movies, they're all trippy. You don't know what's happening half the time. So Luke chapter 19, this is, you know, Jesus has already been born. He's an adult. He's about 33 years old. He has followers. News about him is spreading. He's performing miracles. He's teaching. He's ticking people off. He's got a group that has been with him for some time. People are pressing around him as he travels from place to place. And we're going to meet one such guy who met Jesus personally and see how his life was changed. So here we go. Chapter 19, it says, he, that means Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. I can't stand this guy. (laughs) And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And right there, Jesus declares his mission to those that were at that house, those that will read the scripture, and for you and me. The son of man came to seek and save the lost. Now, maybe you're not familiar with that term. You're like, wait a minute, I'm getting confused here. The series is called Son of God, and you're going on about Jesus being the son of God. Who's the son of man? Well, you're going to see that in the gospel of Luke. He refers to himself as the son of man somewhere between 33 and 37 times. This is Jesus' humility on display when he says that. Jesus was fully God and fully man. So when he's talking to men, he's relating to men. He's God with flesh on. So he refers to himself respectfully and humbly as a son of man. But make no mistake, he's the son of God. And right there is his mission. The son of man came to do what? To seek and save the lost. It's a beautiful picture, but we got to break down this story for a second. Jesus coming into Jericho. There's, There's no hint anywhere else in scripture that he'd ever met this guy, Zacchaeus, before. But remember, he's fully God and fully man. He knows Zacchaeus. He's known him from the beginning, and he's on a mission to seek him and save him. And so coming into Jericho, we've we've got this guy, Zacchaeus. Now, the reason I said I can't stand this guy is not because I don't like rich people. It's because I spent a little time breaking it down. In that day and age, to be a tax collector meant that you were a sellout. You were a traitor to your people. Remember, Israel was occupied by Rome. And so when you're collecting taxes, you're collecting taxes for the Romans. Romans. They hated the Romans. So you're a traitor. You work for the bad guys. You work for the occupiers. Not only do you work for them, that's strike one. Strike two is to make your living, you up the percentages just a little bit so you can take a little bit off the top. You're skimming. So now you're a thief. That's strike two. Let alone the fact that you collect taxes. Anybody like taxes? That's strike three, right? And it says he was the chief tax collector. That's strike four. If you're, they don't even allow that in baseball, right? What that means is that he was so good at it, he had other tax collectors working for him. So now he's getting even more money. So this man is a thief. He's probably a liar. He's a cheat. He's a traitor. He's an outcast, and there's nothing he can do about it. He can't change his identity. He is lost and nobody likes him. Nobody likes him. He is the Grinch. The Grinchiest Grinch you can imagine. (laughs) To top it off, he's short. (laughs) He can't see. He wants to see because he's heard about this Jesus. He wants to see, but he can't see. So he's up in a tree. And this picture, which, you know, the problem is sometimes for those of us who grew up in church, you know, they turned this into a song, and so then it be kind of became a fairy tale. Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee, you know, then it's like, a, you know, some silly song. This really happened. This was a real dude that was really lost and on a highway to hell. And he's up in a tree, and Jesus comes right to that spot, and in front of everybody, says, I need you to come down. I'm staying at your house today. And if you notice, people haven't changed in 2,000 years because they grumbled. Now, we know that these were church people for sure. <laughs> I'm church people, so I, I can say that. They grumbled going to that sinner's house. He's just seized with judgment. He's a sinner. He's a thief. I know what he did. I know who she is. I know how they voted. I know their stance. Did you see what he put on Facebook? That's Zacchaeus. Scandal that the rabbi says, not only does he address him, he said, I want to go to your house today. He was on a mission to find Zacchaeus seek him up in that tree. Now, the cool thing is Zacchaeus receives him joyfully. He could have said, "No, no, no, I'm gonna stay up in this tree. But there was some kind of a holy discontent that made him come down. Jesus goes to his house. Now, we don't know everything that went on. In fact, there's... You know, right after the grumbling, we go straight to verse 8. It's like we skip past lunch. What happened in that conversation? It's left out, and it's left out on purpose. What we see, though, Jesus sought him, and the moment he's confronted, everything changes. The moment he encounters the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the object of the gospel of Luke. His life has changed. How do I know? Because of his own testimony. He said, Lord, half of everything I have, I give to the poor. And anyone I've defrauded, anyone I've stolen or cheated from, I'm gonna pay them back four times what I stole. And Jesus' response is, salvation has come to this house today. For the son of man, has come to seek and save the lost. Salvation means he was saved. Zacchaeus was going this way, and then he met Jesus, and now he's going this way. Everything changed because he's the son of God. That's what happens when people encounter Jesus. Church, that's why we always need to point people to Jesus. We don't point them to us. We don't point them to the church. We don't point them... To a person or a pastor, we point them to Jesus. They can say whatever they want about me, but not about Jesus. Say what you want about this church or that church or those churches, but they can't say it about Jesus. He's the one. Man, I'm getting fired up. And this Jesus came to seek and save the lost. That was his mission. And when Zacchaeus was powerless and he was nothing, his life was changed because Jesus sought him when he was lost found him, and he was changed. He was changed. And the same thing is true for us. You see, I don't want you to treat this story at arm's length like that was for then, that was for lost people. But look at me, I'm in church, I'm obviously found. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. If I were to put Jesus' mission in my own words, it would be this, is that Jesus came to find you and to bring you home. He came to find you and to bring you home. Now, if you're a Christian and you've repented of your sins and begun a relationship with Jesus Christ, he has found you and he's bringing you home. Where's home? Where home is someday when we spend eternity with him, but home begins right now. And when I say home, I'm talking about this intimate, personal relationship with God that's right here and right now. Where I love him and I know he loves me where my love for him is unconditional because I know his love for me is unconditional. We're friends. We're intimate. It's first name basis. That's home. That's home. You can say, okay, John, I know all this. I've already heard the gospel. Well, Jesus came to find you and bring you home. And as I was thinking about this, what does this have to do with an audience that's mostly Christians? Well, it says In Isaiah chapter 53, which, by the way, is a great little prophetic thing, especially around Christmas time to read. I'm giving you all sorts of assignments right now. But if you look in Isaiah 53, it's got this little thing to say about us. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. And if you've been around for more than a hot second, you know that one thing Christians like to do is we get found and then we like to go astray again, don't we? No? No? We like to wander off. Scripture is rich with uh, Psalms about uh, the Lord is my shepherd. That means I'm a sheep, he's a shepherd. Jesus told a parable about a shepherd who had to leave the 99 to go find the one that wandered off. So I don't think this seeking and saving the lost is just a one-time event because I know I get lost a lot. How many of you have ever been lost and remember what that feels like? That's mostly women put their hands up. (laughs) Not because women get lost. It's because men don't bother to ask for directions (laughs) or admit that they've ever been lost. I've been lost before. Being lost is a horrible feeling. It's one of the most frightening feelings that you can have in human experience. I remember one time I was hunting uh, uh, and I... I, been led to this spot it was like here's a here's a stand it's it's in a swamp and and I found it real easy by the little orange things that were in the tree and you know I could see it back there in the daylight and then I hunted until dark and I stayed till after dark because I didn't want to spook what was out in front of me right it gets dark fast in a swamp it was my first time there and I remember coming I was completely lost in a swamp less than five miles from my home and I was like this is how I die Preacher dies in a michigan swamp it's 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 a frightening place to be right it's just as frightening have, have you ever lost one of your kids well that's horrible that's not even funny. I remember one time with uh you know when our kids were really little uh we went right up uh, on a hike to the high roll rollway here and we went down some of these paths and 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 uh you know I don't know what's out there or who's out there and and uh you know there's at one point my you know, they're running around picking up sticks and doing all this stuff. And my wife's like, we're missing one, you know, because we had quite a few sheep. We got five because we're in the major leagues of parenting. And uh, uh, we're not in the minor leagues like you, you know, one boy, one girl fam, but whatever. Uh, we'd lost one of them. And uh, uh, it was our oldest child, Isabel. She's gone. We're like, Isabel. And there's nothing. And we're looking all over. Did she fall down? She's, You know, there's a river down there. There's, I don't know, wild beasts of the forest in here. It's starting to get dark, and we're trying to go home, and we can't find our kid. Horrible feeling. It's about. Now, think about that as being you. And our God in heaven, sending Jesus on a mission to find you, bring you home. Even if you're sitting here today in Buckley or sitting here today in Manistee or listening online and you think you know where you are, but you're lost. Could be lost. How are we lost? How are we lost? Well, obviously, you can be lost in sin. Romans chapter 3 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, you can become a Christian and still return to your sin. Or you can have secret sin. You can get used to your sin. You just decide, well, this forest is just where I live, and so I'm going to stay in this forest because, you know, I may be a child of God, but the forest eh, has all these attractions. And you can be lost in sin. If you're with us today and you're not a Christian, Scripture says that you are dead in sin. Jesus came to seek sin and find you, and bring you home. He didn't intend for us to wander alone in a dark forest or to be far from him. God created us for relationship with him, to be loved by him, for us to love him back and to be intimate with him, to know him, to obey him. If You're lost in sin. He came to seek and find you, bring you home. It's not just in sin we can be lost, though. Most of us know that instinctively. Oh, this is where they talk about sin and make me feel bad. On the flip side, you can be lost in religion. You can be lost in religion. I love to mess with people, you know, that are, uh, you know, not Christians, and they'll talk to me, and they'll say something. They go, well, I'm not a religious person, sorry. And I go, I'm not either. And they're like, what? And they're like, of course you are. You're a pastor. You're very religious. And I'm like, don't call me religious. Religious people killed Jesus. What's the matter with you? And that always starts a conversation, right? Church, you can be lost in religion. I've been lost in sin and I gave my life to Christ. And then I spent the next 30 years being lost in religion because I was trying to clean up myself myself. There was this image that I thought I had to adhere to, these these boxes that I thought that I had to check, and if I did all these things, that I could somehow keep this love relationship with God, and it was all about what I was doing. I was trying to clean myself up. How do you clean yourself up from the inside out? That's like trying to do surgery on yourself. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can be lost in religion. What do I mean by that? The story of the gospel is God reaching down to lift us up and save us, to seek us and save us. That's the gospel. God reaches down and pulls us up. Religion is man somehow trying to reach God with his good behavior and his gospel of being a good person. And that's false. And you can hide in plain sight in church with a mask on, having cleaned yourself up and be lost, lost, lost in plain sight. Because it's about you. And you judge people by their behaviors. And you're trying real hard to white knuckle it, make yourself be good. You can't earn your way into heaven. You can be lost in religion. In Matthew 23, Jesus called people like this, whitewashed tombs whitewashed sepulchers. What he's talking about is those tombs that are built above ground, those mausoleums. Inside, there's something dead and rotting, decay, and on the outside, it's got a fresh white coat of paint. Religious person, that's who you are. Well, good for you. You can also be lost because you wandered off, just like my daughter that day. You can wander off and be lost. Why do we wander off? I was thinking about this. I think one of the reasons we love to wander off is because of our feelings. Our feelings get hurt. It seems to me that sheep are sensitive creatures. Someone hurts our feelings and we're gone. But it's not just gone from the community, it's not just gone from church. All of a sudden, there's something in the Bible that hurts our feelings or there's something you know, that some church person said or, 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 or maybe the feeling is fear. God has said, I need you to go there and do this. And we don't give him our yes anymore. And when we don't give him our yes anymore, we've wandered off. We can still be in church and still be disobedient. We can be in church and, and and have a broken relationship with somebody else within our own family or the family of God and we're lost again. We've wandered off, haven't we? And the cool thing about coming together every week to study and hear God's word is God's still seeking and he still wants to save us from being disconnected and lost and far from home. Because that's not what he intended for us. Our feelings, oh, here's another one that makes us wander off, comfort. Comfort, we love comfort. The older I get, I can't even go anywhere without my old man pillow. I'm that guy now. I go to a hotel with my own pillow and a box fan so I can get a good night's sleep, right? It's like, what happened to the days? I mean, we love comfort, don't we? Can I tell you something, church? Comfort is your enemy. The Son of God came and said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. What part of that is about my comfort? None of it. None of it. And we chase comfort so hard. It's not about comfort. When I start chasing comfort, I wander away and I get lost, separated from God. One of the most uncomfortable things I have ever done was to say yes to God and move to northern Michigan. And I'm starting to think that the reason I'm so uncomfortable is he put me here to keep you uncomfortable. (laughs) You're welcome. We'll just be uncomfortable together, right? Because it's not about our comfort. We wander off because we get distracted. We get distracted by politics and masks and vaccines. I'm sick of it. Fight the right fight the right fight, and if we cared as much about the lost as we do about arguing about stupid things like vaccines, we wander off because we get distracted. And ultimately, all these things amount to idols that we worship. Idols we make of ourselves, of our families, of our stuff, of our kids, of our jobs and our reputations. Lost, lost, lost. Here's the good news. Jesus came to find you and bring you home. He came to find you and bring you home. So if you're lost, you've never become a Christian. Scripture says you're lost in sin. The invitation is just like Zacchaeus, to meet the real Jesus. And today you can give him your life and become a Christian and everything will change. And if you wanna do that, we got staff people, both campuses that wanna talk to you. You can be lost in your religion. And aren't you just sick and tired of trying to do it in your own effort? I can remember being 30 years old, In Charlotte, North Carolina, on my back deck in the pouring rain on my face, that's when I repented of religion. I was like, God, I'm I'm, I'm tired of doing all the right things. I'm a missionary. I'm reading the Bible. I'm memorizing. just checking every box. Why don't I feel it? And I realized because I was trying to reach up to God, and I wasn't just accepting his hand reaching down to mine. That was a moment. Some of us are lost in religion and need to repent. Some of us have wandered off in plain sight well came to find you and bring you home what's your relationship like with jesus today is it tight is it intimate is it close does he have your yes or are you just kind of comfortable you got it figured out you know where to hide he came to find you he came to find you that day at the roll, roll away, i remember that at one point i think i finally figured out that We were all yelling and we couldn't hear her because we weren't, we're all yelling at the same time. And maybe she was calling out while we were yelling. You can't hear anything. So I got the family, everybody just be silent. Trust me, don't go anywhere, be quiet. And then I said, her dad, Isabel, loud as I could. Wait, and then I heard her little voice, way off, dangerous off, Dad. I got a little fixed and moved a little close. Isabel. Her voice got a little fainter. Daddy. One last time, I said, Isabel, stop. Don't move. Stay right where you are. Because I could tell she was, in her trying to find her way, she was just going further and further out into places that was far from us, far from the car, far from safety. And I found her, and we went home. God sent Jesus on a mission to find you, wherever you are, however we lose ourselves, bring you home. I'm going to ask the bands if they would uh, come out. They're going to lead us in one more song. And as we start this Christmas season, and we start this series, would you bow your heads with me? Because I wonder if you're feeling disconnected and lost and maybe a little bit far from home. Maybe not. And and if not, that's good for you. But it can happen to any of us. And this gospel, this Jesus, this son of God, he wants us to know with certainty the truth of his life, the truth of his death, the truth of his resurrection. The truth that he lives today and he's still seeking and he's still saving. Will you receive it joyfully? Like Zacchaeus, will you turn to him? Because when we're confronted with the real live Jesus, everything changes. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son. I thank you for Dr. Luke who recorded in meticulous detail the life of the greatest man who ever lived. This great God in flesh, Jesus, the son of God. Thank you for seeking us. Thank you for saving us. For those of us that maybe have gotten a little bit off the path, would you help us to stop and listen for your voice so you can bring us home? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.